And then she said she was scared. And then she recognized something. She was seeking healing for all the wrong reasons. It was to glorify God. Not so much her. But the thing I want you to hang on to is this. Why did God make me this way? Father, we ask, O God, that you might speak unto us this morning. That you would lift your words off of the pages. If you would somehow, in the only way in which you're able to do it, impart your word into our heart and our minds. And give us, O God, that measure of faith to believe you above all else. Would you speak? Would you teach? Would you minister to us? And Father, glorify yourself. Because it's all about you. It's not about us. It's about our lives being made in such a way that you glorify yourself through us. And Jesus Christ is lifted up. Teach us to die to ourselves. Teach us, oh God, to die to ourselves that you might truly be glorified. And would you give us further understanding of this thing called salvation and the work that you desire to do in us for your namesake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Many people are just outright confused about salvation. And the thing about salvation, it's a, it brings about a new creation. It really does, in some amazing way, bring us out of our life's crisis into a relationship that blows our minds. That we really don't understand it. And even the angels look and they don't understand it. And the question they ask, God, why are you even mindful of them? Well, I have to ask that question sometime. God, why are you mindful of me? Who am I that you would even give thought to me? When you look at all your creation and the glory of your creation, why would you even give thought of a Gus Brown? That's something to really think about. Why would God even consider me and send his son to die for me? Boy, have you ever thought you are not what you used to be? If you're really saved, you should be able to make that statement. I'm not what I used to be. And you should be able to look at your life and really acknowledge 
the difference that God has made in your life. If you can't chart the difference that God has made in your life, most likely you're not saved. Because God saves us for a divine purpose. He saves us, as Philippians says, to be able to shine like stars. He saves us for his glory and that we might be his witnesses. And ask yourself, are you that? Are you a witness for the Lord? Or are you what Paul then challenges the Romans? That I'm not ashamed of God. Or do you find yourself being ashamed of God in public, in your workplace, even in your own home? But do you really know that what has taken place in your life is only by the power of a living God? You are not what you used to be. And you are not what you're going to be or become yet. You are still in that making process. God is still working in your life if you're saved. God is still changing you. God is still developing you. God is still teaching you. And you're still growing. Philippians 1.6 just basically states to us, he who has begun a good work in us, he says he's going to continue it. If Christ is not in your life, then that means Satan is doing the work yet. Satan is deceiving you, lying to you, and guess what? You're believing the lies. If Jesus Christ is not in your life, that means you can look at your life and you can see all the destruction. And you know what a lot of people don't want to know? They don't want to know his word because they don't want to recognize that they're living contrary to his word. So if you're ignorant of his word, you can look at your life and say, I'm doing okay. But if you look at God's word, he'll tell you if you're on the road of destruction or he'll tell you that you're on a road that is pleasing unto him. And his word is like a mirror. It reflects us. It reflects us. Because one person who will not lie to us is God. When he says, I'm a sinner, he's telling me the truth about me. And oftentimes we don't want to handle the truth. We prefer to believe a lie rather than the truth. And God will always speak the truth to me. So he tells me, hey, this is what you are. But I've saved you 
and I'm going to work in your life. Until you see Christ face to face, then you will be completed because you will become like him when you see him face to face. It is easy to come into church and worship Jesus. A lot of us do it from a position of reality. And when I say that, I'm saying we do it because we really love the Lord. We do it because we're really seeking his face and we want to know more of him. We do it because we're in a relationship and we want those intimate moments with him. We want to seek him out. We want to know more about him. We want to develop and how and have the Holy Spirit work in us, even though we may not truly understand how he does it, because there's two things about Christianity. One, you can be a very religious person and not saved. But you cannot fake the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. You cannot fake it, because if we watch you long enough, we'll be able to say, you're not saved. <laughs> you have some religion, you know the right jaga, you know a couple of scriptures, you, you're able to do this, you're able to do that, but there is not a heart that runs after the Lord like the deer patteth after the wire. There's not a desire for him. There's not a zealousness for him. There's not a real love for him. And you can really begin to notice the difference in this. I always want God to do something for me, but I don't want to do anything for God. And you'll, you'll find a lot of Christians, they want God to be their servant, but they don't want to be what? God's servant. And when you hear too much, God, I want, I want, I want, you're making God the bellhop. You're making God your maid. You're making God your servant. And he's always supposed to be there when you're in a crisis. And if he doesn't show up, you get mad at him or even you even question if he even exists. But you can tell when a person's growing in Christ because they understand that they are an individual who is not worthy to even be loved by God. And that's a puzzlement that we will wrestle with. I love my wife, but sometimes I wonder, why would she love me? Why would Elaine love me? And the whole question is that with God, why would God love me? Paul wrestled with that. When you hear Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm this, I'm that. And the question is, why would God love me? And God really knows us. It is so easy to step in here and worship Jesus. 
But it is difficult to live by his word. That's where the struggle comes in for many of us. And a lot of people who fake it, you'll find them falling away from God's word. Rather than struggling with God's word, they just walk away. And yet, the Lord says, you love me if you keep my, what? Commandments. And there would be something inside you that says or demonstrated in your life, you're struggling with the things of God and his word because you have knowledge of his word. And remember where he said, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. But when you have knowledge of God's word, he makes you, in a sense, wrestle with him and struggle with him over this thing called obedience. When you can be disobedient without a struggle, I doubt if you are saved. I doubt if you are saved. It is difficult, very difficult, to live by God's word. But our behavior becomes his behavior if we understand his word. Our behavior becomes his behavior empowered by the Holy Spirit. Our minds become his mind as we emerge ourselves into his word. If you don't allow your mind to get into the word of God and to struggle with it and wrestle with it and give deep thought to it, not just top surface, but really ask yourself questions and even challenge God. God is never fearful of a challenge because he knows in this challenge there's a deep desire to understand more. To understand more. And you allow yourself to wrestle with him. In doing so, your mind then becomes transformed and it leaves, in a sense, this fleshly mind to this mind of Christ. The mind is emerged into his word. And in doing so, our thinking is different. Our thinking is different. We change the way we think. We, we change the way we see things. We're changed because our mind no longer is similar to the thinking of the world. But it's been now transformed. It's been renewed. And it's different because we've spent time in the word of God. So our thinking is different and our minds are renewed. So we can truly say we have the mind of who? The mind of Christ. And our desire because of a changed mind is that we want to serve him. And our mind says the same thing that Jesus said. I come to do the will of my father. Our attitude changes. Because of that which is now different. 
And this is what takes place when we talk about the transformation or the new creation experience. When one is truly saved, there is something that takes place. Remember what the young lady said as she was being prayed for? She could feel something where at? In her back. When you're in a relationship, you're going to feel, you're going to acknowledge, you're going to experience something. If he's a dead God, you're not going to experience anything. But if he's a living God, you're going to experience him. He's going to make himself known to you. The word is always my foundation. The word is always my starting point. But as the Spirit of God begins to teach me, he will reveal more to me, and he's going to open up avenues that I never thought of, and he's going to do it through the word of God. What is it to be saved? And people today, and I got to be careful how I'm going to say this. People think just because they came down front or said some words or prayed with somebody that they're saved. If your heart isn't serious when you pray, God knows it. The person who hears you pray can't see your heart. God does. And a lot of times we're saying things just to get people off our case. A lot of times we're just saying things to please people. And in America, we've learned how to say things to please people. We've learned how to say the right thing to the boss. Although inside here, that's not what it really is. But I know how to deceive him and to trick him or to get around him. By saying what I think he wants to what? Hear. And that's a lot of Christianity today. For it's the mouth that says, yeah, I'm saved. But the scripture says your heart is far from him. For many will confess with their mouth, Lord, 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 and I'll tell them what? I know you not. So how do I know Personally, if I'm really saved. How do I know that? And how does one really understand that they're truly saved? Well, some people will just say, the word. The word says you have eternal life. Understand this. If I got to convince you that you're saved, you're not saved. Because it does not come by human words. It does not come by human wisdom. It comes by the Holy Spirit testifying to your spirit that you are a child of God. Not man, but the Holy Spirit that gives testimony that you are a child of God and bearing witness to that. 
Understand, God didn't allow his son to die for our salvation so we could continue on with life the way we wanted to live it. And a lot of people think that's what happened. Oh, I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. I accepted Christ. Now I'm going to go and live life however I want to live it. Christ didn't pull you out of the Mari clay for you to run back into it. Christ didn't bring you out of a dark, miserable world into a shining light so that you can run back into darkness. He saved you for a purpose to serve him and to glorify him. And he did not die for that you could have the freedom to do anything you wanted to do in this life. He didn't die for our fornication. He did not die for our adultery. He did not die that I could run out here and just sin, sin, sin. He didn't die that I could have just the freedom to run into a bar and get drunk. He didn't die for that I could just go back into my world. He didn't die for that. He died to set me free of that which held me in bondage. And I need to understand that. I need to understand that. Because some people do exactly what Scripture says. They ignore so great a salvation. Now, he died that our lives would be different. And that our old behavior with this worldly mind and attitude would be redirected, redeveloped, renewed. Because, see, many of us do not want to admit this. Either you're taught by God or you're taught by the God of this world. There's only those two teachers. Either Satan's going to teach you how to live the way he wants you to live, or God's going to teach you how to live the way he wants you to live. There's no middle ground. You may think you choose how you want to live. No. That's a deceptiveness, and that's the lie of the enemy. You are either living in obedience to Satan, or you are living in obedience to God. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Demons will teach you, and you need to understand that. What is simple people? What do they look like? How might the Bible describe some of them? Let's take a look at that real first. Proverbs 26 says, they're dogs. They're dogs. Dogs. After they perform certain things, they go right back what? Right back to it. And that's a sinner. That's an unsaved person. They go right back to how they've been living. They don't set a new course. 
they keep making the same sinful mistake that they've made time after time after time. Because they have no new direction in their life. And he says, they're like dogs. Job says they're like wild donkeys. In other words, they're stubborn. You can't teach them anything. And the sinner got it all figured out. They don't see the destruction that they bring into their life. They don't see the hurt and the pain that comes into their life because of their sinful ways. And then they want to constantly be blaming somebody else for their downfalls. Have to point and say, it was because of them. They didn't let me do this. Or they wouldn't help me do this. Or they wouldn't open the door for me at this job. Understand something. You're like a wild donkey that the Lord is not able to teach and he won't force you. He won't force you. He gives us another description in Matthew and he's talking about the Pharisees. He said, they're snakes. He's talking about the Pharisees. They are religious people. And he says, they're snakes. Snakes are very quiet and sneaky, hunting. And he says, those sinners are very cunning people. They're very quiet in what they do. The difference between a sinner and a Christian, a Christian's life, according to Paul, should be like an open book read by men. A sinner's life is one that is closed and don't want people to really know them on what they do. The Christian life is open that people can see that Christ has transformed me, that they can see the one that I really love, that they can see the one who I am obedient unto, that they can really see. But for the unbeliever, they want a life of secrecy because the things I do in the dark, I don't want people to what? To know. And the Christian life should be open. Should be open. Now, go with me to Romans chapter 3 and pick up in verse 13 with me. Look what Paul says about him. Three, thirteen through 18. He says, boy, get these eyes adjusted again. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. They're always trying to deceive. They're always lying. They're, they're always putting something out there to think, to have you think something different about them. Women, men, let me share something with you. If you don't accept yourself beautiful the way God created you, all the additional stuff you put on don't mean a thing. As you go back and study Isaiah, 
especially in that chapter 4. That has fascinated me some, and I think some of those in the study. The Lord said, I took all the earrings, all the jewelry, all the fake stuff off. And he said, even the wigs, I just made them bald. And then he says, I'm going to... That young lady right there, she brought it out because I wasn't going to say it. She said, the scripture said, God makes us stink. He takes away the perfume. Because of what was taking place in all the adultery and the hoishness that was going on in Jerusalem, in Judah. And God says, I'm going to take away those things that the woman thinks really makes her beautiful. And I'm going to strip her back down to just bareness. That's what God does to us when we come to him. He strips us down to our bareness. Because he wants us to see ourselves as he created us. And that we're okay. We're beautiful. Why? When he was done with his creation, he said it was good. You don't have to add a lot of stuff on. You're beautiful just the way you are. Men, you're handsome just the way you are. And Paul there he says, then their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Do you hear that today? A lot of bitterness, a lot of cursing, a lot of anger. If you ever want to see anger and hear anger, sit down and talk to an 8-year-old or a 12-year-old. Hear the bitterness that's in their heart. Hear the anger that's in their heart. It's amazing in the daycare every now and then, I'm called grandpa, grandpa, grandpa. And the kids are just starving. But to sit in my office sometime, and hear what these kids are living and seeing, And they really can't explain it. They just know it's happening. And they're angry about it. A couple weeks ago, and some of you may know about it now, I was charged with a certain charge of abusing a child. And I had to go downtown to the police department, sit with the detective, give him my side of the story and everything. When I had the father and mother in my office, and the young man was trying to tell the truth twice, and the mother put different words in his mouth, I said, there's no use me trying to punish this child to tell the truth when mom's not going to allow it. So I just turned to the father and I said, do you believe that I would hurt your child? And his answer, I don't know. 
you've known me now for quite a few years, and you don't know? So the police had to come out here to the building. They had to ask different individuals. The state came out. Uh, Children's service came out. And last week, I got a letter stating that, in a sense, I had done nothing wrong. They found no evidence to prove the charges that were there. Now, the young man had a big knot on the front of his head. And the cut, which they had to take care of at Children's Hospital. But if you were a mother and you came here and you saw a big knot on your son's head and bleeding in his hair, blood in his hair, would you wait another five, six hours before you took him to the hospital? And that became the question issue. Did it happen here with me or did it happen somewhere else? Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And when you become embittered, there's no telling what you might do. And he goes on and he says, Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. Now catch this very last one. There is no fear of God. No fear of God's judgment. No fear of God seeing me do what I do. So I can just do it openly before him. And yet God sees everything we do. But I have no fear of him. I have no respect of him. God might as well not even exist. And in reality, that's where the mind is at. He does not exist. Therefore, I have the freedom to do whatever I'm doing because there is no judgment or wrath to come. There's no fear of God. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Our key verse where we're going to work our way to is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. But what I want you to see in this process is where we come from. Where we come from. Remember, you were a person who once cussed. You were a person who was a person of the night, whether it be men or women. You were a person who, boy, the church used to talk about as a sinner, unsaved. You once were. But God is making you into something different. God is making you into something different. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Read with me from 9 to 11. He says, boy, do you not know? That's the first thing. Do you not know? Understand something. Satan will keep you from the information that God wants you to have. That's why a lot of people don't carry a Bible. That's one of the worst things the church ever allowed to take place where people stop bringing their Bibles to church. It should not have been allowed. Because it's the church, it's the Bible that verifies what the pastor is saying up on the platform. If he is not preaching from this word, then he has nothing to say. It has to come from this word of God. And he says, do you not know? And a lot of people don't know simply because we're not students. We don't study the word of God. And a lot of people don't care what the word of God says as long as I'm doing okay. And he says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Have you ever read in the obituary where someone went to hell? It's never stated, is it? But everybody takes their flight to heaven. Now somebody lying. (laughs) Either the newspaper is lying or God's lying. Because everybody's not going where? To heaven. But we never see, boy, he took his flight to hell. And he says, the kingdom of God, do not be deceived. And this is where even a lot of Christians are. Deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolater, nor adulterer, nor male prostitute, nor homosexual offenders will enter into his kingdom. Now each one of us got to take a look and ask, do I fit in that classification? Do I fit there? Maybe I am married. And maybe I slip up two, three times a year. Well, you're fitting in this classification. And you got to really ask yourself, are you really saved? Maybe you make trips out of town to another state, somewhere else, and you think nobody knows. It may not be another living soul here on earth that knows. But God knows. But he names these things. And even for the church... These are the things that we stand against. Not for, but against. So we stand against an immoral lifestyle. We stand against a hoish man or a hoish woman. We stand against homosexuality and look like the church is caving into that. There are those things we stand against. Why? Because God is against them. And he says, these things will not enter into his kingdom. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
Now, listen to verse 11, because this is the key point. And that is what some of you, what, were. This is what we once were. And it says, but you were washed. Now he begins to make the difference between that unsaved and that saved. You were washed. It didn't say you washed yourself. It says you were washed by something outside of yourself. You were cleaned up by somebody else other than yourself because you couldn't wash yourself. Remember when you were a youngster? And mama used to bathe you? That's what the Lord does with his children. He puts us in the bathwater of the blood of Christ and he washes us. And he says, you were sanctified. He sets us apart. We don't set ourselves apart. He sets us apart for his work and for his glory. It's something that God does. And then he says, you were justified. God makes us right in his sight through Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we've done in and of ourselves to justify ourselves before God. It is a work that God himself has done and God declares us justified because of his work, not because of ourselves. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. It's all a work of God. Now turn with me to Second Corinthians, and I want you to ask yourself a question that we're going to ask. 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I want to have you draw a circle, if you can, or underline Therefore, if, 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 if you are truly in Christ, if you're there, I can't say if you're there or not there, but the scripture says God knows those that are his. And you know the one that your heart beats for. You know if he is really your savior and master of your life, Lord of your life. And he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a what? New creation. Now, the question that you have to ask is this. What is made new? When Elaine was saved, she didn't become a holly berry. She became and remained Elaine. There was no outer features that changed. Now, the moment she became saved, though, there became a promise to her. 
that upon death you would receive a new body. But while you're here, you have the same body. Let's take another step now. God has given to me an eternal soul in which this body houses. And it is this soul that will take its flight to heaven or to hell. So that didn't change. You have the same soul. Then he says, with a small s, the spirit. Uh, We believe we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. Your spirit didn't change. That spirit that unites with the Holy Spirit to know that you are saved, that spirit didn't change. It's still there. So when he says, I become new, a new creature, and oftentimes we just automatically just said, if you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a new creature without much explanation behind what becomes new. I'm going to try to give you two elements that make a difference and that is really new to you and I. And I think those two elements is what when Paul says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith that he might be referring to. Again, I'm just suggesting this to you. I like to think I can bear it out in Scripture. Because those are the two elements that can really shine. The others, as I've already admitted, they were already given and they were not made new. Your soul was not made new in you. The spirit that God gave to you was not made new in you. And openly, outwardly, as I stood up there at the Billy Graham crusade and I told the man, he asked me, why are you back down here? I said, because I'm waiting to be saved. He said, well, you were saved last night of you. Uh, it's the same guy somehow bumped right back into me. And I told him, have nothing changed? Don't I get to look a few years younger? Don't I get to get something on me or get a mark on me? Get something that says I've been saved? That's how dumb and foolish I was. It was Cecil Inman at a Bible study, and I was sharing that similar with Cecil. And Cecil said, Gus, it's by faith. You believe it and just start living what Scripture says, and you will identify whether or not if you've truly been saved or not. But I want to give you two elements. These two basic elements are the proof, I think, of your salvation, of you being saved. And if these two things are not real in your life, then you're not saved. You're religious. You do religious exercises. But you're 
not saved. It's not a new body. Although we are promised a new body, this body aches. Praise God, the pain in the back isn't there like it has been in the past. Going to therapy and a stick that somebody bought me, it pushes my back back when I use it. And it aligns it and it helps it. But the pain's not there like it used to be. So I still have the same old body that has colds and gets sick and, and, and ache and I didn't get a new body that doesn't have these earthly pains and so forth and hurts. Nor did I get a new soul. Nor did I get a new spirit. But what I did get is the promise of the Holy Spirit coming into my life and becoming my teacher. what I have the ability to do if I'm willing to get into God's word is renew my mind and have a new mind that is like Christ. So my thinking is no more like the natural man but that my thinking is like Christ. Now, upon salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.28, we have that promise. And it's been promised through generation on down through generation to generation that you have that ability And it is given to you as a gift of God, the Holy Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And he's not a person that forces himself upon you. Yes, he is one who wants to teach you. Yes, he is one who wants to guide you. He is a promise unto you. So in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, I got 28 is 38. Look at verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, he didn't say maybe, or you would might, and you will receive. You will receive. Now remember what we talked about last week? You're the one that has to decide if you're going to believe God's word or not. Nobody else is going to force you. You're the one that has to make that decision. And if this is a promise of God that I would receive his Holy Spirit as a gift upon my repentance and acceptance of Jesus Christ. Do I have the Holy Spirit or not? Will God keep his word? And he says, 
you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. Now, look how far it's going to travel. It is for you and your children and from all who are what? Afar, who are the afar off ones? That's you and I. So that promise is still being enforced. The moment somebody repent and accept the Lord Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit, and that is something new in their life. That was not there before. Romans 8, 9. Romans 8, 9. If you have your watches on, set them back an hour. But in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, he simply says it this way. If you have not, you, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. Now look at the condition. There's that if again. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and you're the one that has to tell if the Spirit of God is living and breathing in you. You're the one that has to tell if the Spirit of God is teaching you, if the Spirit of God is guiding you, if the Spirit of God is convicting you. You have to tell. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if, there's that if again, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Boy, that's powerful. If you have not the Spirit of Christ, and there should be some evidence in your life that the Spirit of God dwells in you by the way in which you struggle, by the way in which your behavior is changing, by the way in which your thought life is changing, by the way in which you live is changing, by the way in which you love your wife and your family is changing, that you yourself, you are becoming a new creature because of the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You catch it? You're not what you used to be. But you are becoming new because of the teaching and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And one of the titles of the Holy Spirit is that he is the spirit of truth. Why? He will not lie to you. But he will go against everything that challenges the word of God or the behavior of a saint that is not fitting in God's sight. And he said, if you have not the Spirit, you're none of His. He makes it very clear. 
that the Spirit of God is not dwelling in you, if the Spirit of God is not teaching you, then some other spirit is. That the Spirit of God is not bearing witness with you that you are a child of God by the changes that he is changing in your life and how you're thinking, how you're perceiving things, how you're seeing things, then you're not saved. Because you won't see it the way you used to see it. A lot of men, and even today, they judge themselves on being a man by how many women they sleep with. That's not a way to measure yourself as a man. And as you get into scripture, you begin to understand that. That I begin to judge myself as a man as I find myself coming under the authority and the obedience of Jesus Christ. That defines me then as a man. The other way I'm being defined as Satan would define me. And other men will applaud me for it. And the other men will cheer me on. And that's the worldly way of trying to define a man. But a man who comes under the authority of God takes on the full responsibilities of being the godly man that God has ordained and loving his wife and caring for his family and being someone who cares for his community and someone who constantly desires to please God and not himself. In John 6, 63, it talks about the spirit being the giver of life. If you don't have the spirit of God, You cannot have the Christ-like life. Now, you can try to fake it, but eventually it comes out. Why? Because it is the Spirit of God that has to produce that Christ-like life in us. It's the Spirit of God that has to do it. It's not man just thanking himself or following some rules that will do it. It has to be a personal work of the Holy Spirit in your life, producing you, developing you, adding things into your life, and taking things out of your life. That he says he is the spirit of life. What life? The life of Christ in you. Turn me to Ephesians. We'll jump me for sake of time. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. I want you to see what he says here. Ephesians 3 and verse 16. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with what? With power. It takes God's power to live the Christian life and not the natural life. To be the natural woman or the natural man. Boy, any of us can live that. 
But to be the godly woman or the godly man or the godly child, it takes the power of God in us. And he says, boy, I pray that out of the glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his what? Spirit. That's why the spirit has to be in there. The power doesn't come any other way. It comes through the Holy Spirit that you can overpower all these temptations and all these sinful things that Satan will throw your way. And that through the Spirit you can put on the full armor of God. And that you can put up that shield of faith that when those fiery darks come, they will not affect you. That's the power of God in you. The Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Through faith. Through faith. Now, the second one. You are given the ability to develop a new mind. Remember what Proverbs talks about? As a man thinketh what? So is he. As a man thinketh, so he will do. And there's going to be a new mind developed. And you should be able to tell if you're thinking differently. If you're seeing things from the natural way, from a human fleshly way, or are you seeing things from a biblical way and from the perspective that God would have you see it and to acknowledge it? And he wants to redevelop the mind. So that you would have a new mind. A new way of thinking. So you're going to know by the spirit of God. And you're going to know by your mind. Those two things you can really look at and judge if they're happening in your life. A new way of thinking. And and is your mind being redeveloped? Go to 1 Corinthians 2.13. Because... I think too often we don't use this to understand. I'm not going to be correct on every theological thought. I'm not going to be correct on everything about what Scripture says. Neither will you. But there ought to be an evidence that I'm wrestling with it. I'm wrestling with it. I'm seeking I'm desiring to know more. Look what he says in that verse 13. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by what? Human wisdom. So I got to take human wisdom and do what? Put it on the shelf. Why? Because human wisdom is only foolishness to God. And I got to be praying and asking, God, would you give me wisdom from above? Would you give me knowledge from above? Would you give me understanding from above? And he says, it's not by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. What does John tell us in John 14? That 
the Spirit, he will come and do what? Call him the counselor, the teacher. He's going to teach me. If you're being taught and your mind is not changing, then you're not being taught. You're hearing, but you're not a doer. You're hearing, but you don't believe it. You're hearing, but you don't accept it. And it's only when you accept God's word. That doesn't mean you don't struggle with it. That don't mean you're not going to dig deeper with it. That means that you're trusting the Holy Spirit to guide you into truth. Because you're seeking that truth and desiring that truth and want to know that truth. Because it's not the words of men, but it is the words of the Spirit expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And I have to wrestle with that sometimes because I don't always understand everything that the Spirit shares with me. And that's sometimes I have to just step out here in faith and believe He's the one who's going to hold me up. He's the one who's going to rectify everything. And sometimes I have to back up and say, Lord, I didn't understand that as clearly as I thought I did. Now, you have given a new mind that you are developing by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. If you're not in the Word of God, you are not developing your mind. Why do you send your kids to school? Because it's the law? Or are you sending them to school to develop their minds that they might be a functional part of a society and community? God sends us to school to sit at the feet of the Holy Spirit as he teaches us that we might be able to be a functional part in his kingdom. He sends us to school with the professor, the Holy Spirit, to teach us that we might be a functional part in his kingdom. The reason most Christians are not functional in the kingdom of God is because we're ignorant of his word. Or we don't acknowledge his word. And we don't understand what it is to be a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when you engage yourself into the word that your mind begins to change and you are renewing your mind and you are developing the mind of Christ. That you should be able to look at and be able to tell there's a difference in the way I used to think about this. There's something different the way I used to think about that. There's something different. Go to Ephesians 4, 22. 
go to Ephesians 4 and go to 22. He says, you were taught with regard to your former ways of life. Yes, this is how I used to think. Now I'm putting that up against how I do think. And now I have something to say. This is the right way to go. I have the scriptures. Because the scriptures begins to show me the fallacies of that untruth. And he says, you were taught with regard to your former ways of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful what? Desires. Now, every person loves to follow their own opinion. Jonathan, as young as he is, boy, we was up in class this morning, and I took something away from Jonathan. Like, like. I said, Jonathan, either you make a statement or you ask a question. You make a statement that we're going to look at or you ask the question. It's not like, 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 like. Because we can go on with all these likes. Let's have a statement, and then we'll judge your statement, tear your statement apart, or you ask your question because you may not know and you're seeking more knowledge. But it'll be one or the other. And the whole process is that you want to be able to define yourself when you make the statement, I'm a Christian. How do you define that? What do you say to people? What is being said when you make the statement, I am a Christian? Now, what is the difference between that and the question, how do I become a Christian? Can you define it? And can you tell somebody how? He says, you've been taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the deceitful desires to be made new. Where's that newness? You are a new creature in your thinking. In the attitude... Do you see your attitudes changing about things? Of your mind. Of your mind. Because that's what he wants to work on. Your mind. You are the only people who are born again who have to struggle, in a sense, with two minds. Go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. He says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature's desires what is contrary to what? The Spirit. Do you find yourself fighting sometimes? If you don't find yourself fighting, I doubt if you are a Christian. If you don't find yourself struggling sometime between these two things, I doubt if you're really saved. Because you're the only one who can really battle, and it's a spiritual battle. 
Am I going to be obedient to God? Or am I going to be obedient to the flesh and to Satan? Which one? See, the unbeliever don't have the challenge on the other side. They just follow what? Satan. But when you're saved, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes down when you think wrongly or about ready to do wrong that there's that battle. And he simply says, boy, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in what? Conflict. They're warring with each other. They're fighting with each other. They're struggling with each other. But here comes this little verse. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in this world. Let's close out here. I think I'm going to get the last part of it. No. I want you to understand this. That you should be able to identify within yourself the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And you should be able to identify if you yourself are struggling with the word of God. If you're not struggling, I doubt if you're saved. Because the word of God challenges everything that is in me. Everything that opposes God, that word challenges me. And even in my thoughts, when I think wrongly of a person or want to hurt a person, that word challenges me. When I look at another woman and not as a sister in the Lord, that word challenges me. There's nothing wrong with wealth, but when I want greed just to heap upon myself, that word challenges me. When my race becomes an issue, that word challenges me. If you're not in that word, developing a new mind, then most likely you're not saved. It is the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that is developing this new creature. That if any man be in Christ, his Holy Spirit and his word is in that person, transforming them from what they used to be to what they are yet becoming in Christ. We quote the verse, we're a new creature, with very little interpretation of how that takes place. And I want to suggest to you, it takes place by what was promised to you, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that changes our thinking.
Amen. Father, we just give you thanks and praise, Lord. And Lord, I know sometimes I can be long-winded. But Lord, I believe what you give to me should be given to your people. And sometimes, Lord, I can't divide it up. (laughs) Because even with me, Lord, it's not the same thing. Even this morning, at four in the morning, when you gave me that little video of that little girl asking that question, why did he make me like this? He is making us like this for his glory and for his praise. He is making me like this, that I might be that image of Christ. He's making me like this, that I might shine as a bright morning star. He's making me like this, that people might be able to say, this is the work of Jesus Christ. It is not to better my life. It is not to make my life easier. This is not to make me popular. It is for the glory of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I am being made into a new creature because the old could not glorify him. The old could not praise him. The old did not desire him. But the new old God glorifies him, praise him, desire him, want him, love him. And as Paul says, no longer is it I that liveth, but Christ in me. Lord, would you work in us? Would you do a magnificent work that only can be identified as the hand of God working? And would you give us full assurance to whom we belong to? We belong to the one who was crucified, who shed his blood, who went into a grave, and now is sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and him alone. Minister to us, Lord. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.